This past week, I was uh, the chapel speaker at Seneca Hills Bible Camp, and during the week, I taught the junior high campers and staff some basic skills of hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the big word that we use to describe the study of the study of the Bible. We don't just study the Bible, but we also need to study how to study the Bible to make sure that our reading, interpretation, and application of God's word is truly from the Lord. We may be tempted to approach God's word like any other book, to pick and choose favorite parts or to ignore it altogether if we simply don't like to read. We may be tempted to make God's word say what we want it to say. And we may be tempted to treat God's uh, word as a book of inspirational messages rather than the revelation of himself that changes how we view ourselves in all things. The Bible as God's word is not a pick-me-up to help us get through the day. Christianity is not a pick-me-up to help us survive. Jesus Christ, revealed in the scriptures, removes our blindness so that we can see clearly. So the the three parts of hermeneutics, as I taught them this past week, is preparation, investigation, and application. In preparation, we need the Holy Spirit and human study. We need the Holy Spirit to discern the spiritual things, and we need the Holy Spirit to Uh, help us to have the energy and the ability and efforts of study. Investigation seeks the original meaning by finding the original author's message to the original audience and seeing its fulfillment in the person and work of Christ. So that application is taking that original meaning, run through the gospel grid of Jesus himself, that we might apply it to our lives made possible, possible because of what God has first done for us. And so this morning, let's do the preparation, investigation, and application of Acts chapter 18. And before we do that, let's pray to have a focus on and seeking help from God's Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Indeed, O Lord, you are the God of revelation, a God who has made yourself known in creation, but because of our sinful nature, We are blind to see it and deaf to hear it unless you open our eyes and ears by the regenerating work of your Holy Spirit. And so we would pray for your spirit to be at work at this moment, to bear witness to the reading, to the preaching of your word, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. And so it is as always that we pray for the preacher knowing he is not worthy and only by your grace is he able. So it is through Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. I told the campers at camp this week that if they were at a sports camp, they would have brought their sports equipment and been ready to play and practice their particular sport. If they were at a music camp, they would have brought their instrument to camp and be ready to practice and play their instrument. And since they are at a Bible camp, then they probably ought to have brought their Bible and be ready to read and do Bible If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, there are Bibles in the pews. Page 786 is where you will find Acts chapter 18. And I know that in our technological age, we are doing more and more reading on electronic devices, and many have begun to read the Bible on a device as well. Let me suggest it is far better to have the hard copy in your hand in which you can see the surrounding context on which you can take notes and to see God's word as distinct from all other things that we read. So I invite you to follow along with the reading of God's inerrant word from Acts chapter 18, beginning 
at verse 23. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul sent out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Well, much of what we have done already in the past couple minutes has been the first step of preparation, seeking the Holy Spirit and for the Spirit to help us with the energy and effort needed of human study because we are easily distracted with shorter attention spans along with internal and external factors that continually draw our focus in other directions. Here we have even added a preparation for worship time to our Sunday morning activities, recognizing that there is an exhausting demand on our time and energy. Many people have commented that you feel that you are finally ready to worship about the time the worship service is coming to a close. Even in our personal devotions, we can sometimes feel like we're just going through the motions of devotions as our mind gets so quickly drawn to the tasks of the day to be accomplished. Our covenant children may already be overwhelmed with too many words that have been spoken and feel like this sermon is not for them, it's only for adults. That is most certainly not the case. This sermon is for all, and some parts are even especially for our kids. And so the Holy Spirit is present here now. The Spirit speaks by his word. All the distractions are temporary things in a temporal world. And as the Seneca Hills campers saw last week in the context of their theme verse, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. The Holy Spirit is continually present, giving us the energy and effort to study the word of the Lord, which stands forever. So let's do that. With that preparation, let's get into the investigation of Acts 18, looking for the original meaning by finding the original audience or the original author's message to the original audience and the fulfillment in the person and work of Christ. The author of the book of Acts is Luke, who met the Apostle Paul in Troas. We read about that in Acts chapter 16, and he traveled with Paul for a time. He will rejoin Paul uh, when Paul returns to Troas that we'll read about in Acts chapter 20. So Luke knows Paul personally. Some of the events recorded, Luke experienced personally and heard the firsthand accounts of all the things that we read in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written for a man named Theophilus, as we read in the first verse of the book, to whom Luke also wrote the gospel account. The name Theophilus means one who loves God, and he is most likely a Roman official who had great wealth and great status. And so it appears that Theophilus is funding Luke's work with the intention of widely publishing and distributing what Luke writes. 
And so Luke is doing this historical research specifically to address the attacks of unbelievers while also strengthening believers. Rumors about Jesus, rumors about Paul were widely circulating. So Luke is addressing those false rumors and false reports. In particular, Luke demonstrates that the message of Jesus and the message of Paul clearly show that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but for Gentiles all over the world. The gospel is for everyone regardless of ethnicity. There is no room in Christianity for racism of any kind. We are looking forward to a day in which a very ethnically diverse heaven and new earth is filled with God's elect from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Amen? Priscilla and Aquila are ethnically Jewish, according to Acts 18, verse 2, who had become followers of Christ somewhere along the way and were kicked out of Rome around 50 AD by Emperor Claudius, who ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul met them in Corinth, as we saw last week. They were fellow tent makers and shared in Paul's year-and-a-half ministry in Corinth. They then travel with Paul to Ephesus, and Paul has Priscilla and Aquila stay in Ephesus while he goes on to Jerusalem and Antioch to give a report of his missionary work. And so verse 23 is the start of our passage and the start of Paul's third missionary journey. It says, after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the regions of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening the disciples. And what we see is that Paul starts out this third journey the same way that he started the second missionary journey, which was to visit the churches that he planted on the first missionary journey in Derby and Lystra and Iconium and Pisidia, Antioch. He begins by further discipling the Christians in those areas. And again, we see the importance of reaching and equipping and sending worship, discipleship, and mission. Paul brought the gospel to areas in order to reach the lost but then encourage the continued discipling and the further sending of missionaries into still-to-be-reached areas. And so Paul has sent uh, Priscilla and Aquila to Ephesus to do reaching, equipping, and sending there while he was elsewhere. In other words, Paul doesn't think that he has to do this all by himself. We as Presbyterians don't think any one person should be doing things all by themselves. No person is in charge of any aspect of ministry. We do things together, committees and boards and people working together to discern God's will and to put those into practice together. Paul went out with the approval of ascending church in Antioch, a team of companions, including Luke at times, who each had their roles to play. Priscilla and Aquila were a husband and wife team who did ministry together and in partnership with Paul and the Christians in the areas where they ministered, everyone playing their roles in the shared ministry. And so the ministry of Priscilla and Aquila with Apollos in Ephesus happens while Paul is elsewhere. And so we read in verse 24, meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. And what's important to see is that none of this is by chance. 
the sovereign God of the universe ordains whatsoever comes to pass. Apollos, of all people, goes to Ephesus, of all places, and meets, of all people, Priscilla and Aquila at just the right time. Apollos is described as a learned or eloquent man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. And the word that's translated thorough knowledge, or in other translations, competent or mighty, is where we get our word dynamite. Apollos is dynamite in the scriptures. Now, kids and parents especially pay attention to the first part of verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. The word that's translated instructed is where we get our word catechism. Apollos had been catechized in the way of the Lord. In other words, Apollos was dynamite with the scriptures because he had been catechized. And so I cannot encourage parents enough to catechize your children. The first catechism, this children's catechism, is an outstanding resource to help your children to learn to memorize biblical answers to important questions. And I cannot encourage the rest of us enough to utilize the shorter catechism and the larger catechisms, to even memorize the shorter catechism that you might have uh, full understanding and ready answers to important questions, and the larger catechism that will simply knock your socks off as you work through uh, important biblical truths. If you want to be dynamite with the scriptures, open your Bible and allow the catechism to guide you through the word and way of the Lord. All right, so Apollos had come from Alexandria, which was the second greatest city in the Roman Empire, second only to Rome. It was known as the seat of learning. They built a huge synagogue there. And so Apollos, from his parents, from the teachers at the synagogue, and from the city itself, had received a thorough education. Apollos has got some serious game. And so the rest of verse 25 says, He spoke with great fervor, taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. And here's what that means. It's my old uh, New Testament professor, a Bible commentator, Simon Kistemacher, explains it like this. John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance, not a baptism of faith in Jesus Christ. Although Apollos accurately articulated the facts about Jesus, his birth, ministry, death, and resurrection, he was not familiar with the work of the Holy Spirit, the progress of God's kingdom, and the way of God. In short, through oral teaching, Apollos had learned the content of the gospel, but he had not grasped its full significance and application. But notice that the Jews in Ephesus are teachable allowing Apollos to teach fervently. And in the next verse, we see that Apollos himself is teachable. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue when Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. That they explained the way of God more adequately means that they taught the Christian gospel and its application. Not just that Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended, but that he has inaugurated his kingdom reign. He is present by the Holy Spirit who is fully applying the redemption that has been accomplished by Jesus Christ. And so Dr. Kistemacher goes on to say, the text intimates that from Priscilla and Aquila, Apollos learned the importance of Christian baptism 
forgiveness of sin through the blood of Christ, and renewal of life through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. John Calvin then weighs in by saying this, Apollos was unusually modest, for he allowed himself to be taught and refined not only by a manual worker, but also by a woman. For he was mighty in scripture and far superior to them, but those who could have given the impression of being hardly suitable ministers give him the finishing touches about what makes the kingdom of Christ complete. And Calvin goes on to add, we also see that at that time women were not so unacquainted with the word of God, since we see that one of the chief teachers of the church was taught by a woman. Yet we must remember what I said, that Priscilla carried out this instruction privately within the walls of her own home so that she might not destroy the order prescribed by God and by nature. So here we go with the application of that. I love women. I was born to a woman. I married a woman. Grew up with three sisters. I now have three daughters. The Lord has been pleased all my life to surround me with incredible women. And here at Westminster Church, I continue to be surrounded by extraordinary women. Your natural talents, your spiritual gifts, your knowledge, your wisdom, your insight, and your servant love humble me on a regular basis. I grew up in the mainline church who taught that because a woman is as good as a man, therefore she should also be allowed to be a pastor. Grew up in the time of women's liberation movement who likewise taught that because women are just as good as men, therefore women ought to be pastors just like men. Let's be clear that anyone who says women are not as good as a man is a bigoted idiot. Amen? The question is not about the goodness and giftedness of women. The question is the roles to which God has created us. On the other side, you could say it doesn't matter how good and gifted a man is, man's role is not to give birth to babies. On August 1st, the headline in the news said, man gives birth to a boy. But of course, as you read the article, it's to discover it is a transgender man. In other words, a person born a woman who has identified as a man who determined that to be the case, and then identified also as a gay man who then gave birth to a baby. In other words, it's a woman who fell in love with a man and she gave birth to a baby. The woman has stopped taking male hormone replacement therapy in order to conceive and was quoted as saying, I'm okay with my body being a trans body, okay being a man who has a uterus and has the capacity and capability of carrying a baby. Now, I don't mean to make light of this, but this is a news headline about a woman and her husband having a baby. The only reason this became a headline is because it features our culture's current fetish with sexual chaos. It is this world filled with confusion that is attempting to redefine gender identity and roles. So yes, there is absolutely a clear difference between what the Bible teaches and what the world teaches. The Bible, which reveals the creator God, reveals that God created us male and female, and that the God of creation created males and females for each other and to serve in complementary roles. The world, which fell into corruption and disorder by the fall into sin, says that we can decide for ourselves our individual identity and our individual roles. 
And following that path is to surrender to a condition of sin and misery. But the God of creation is also the God of redemption, who does not leave us in a condition of sin and misery, but sent his son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us that we might be holy and happy. Again, it's not to make light of the struggle that many have with gender identity and same-sex attraction. Quite the opposite of making light, the full gospel reality is that God has sent his son to rescue us from our struggles. And so all sexual sins, lust, adultery, pornography, prostitution, sex trafficking, abuse, transgenderism, and same-sex attraction are a result of the fall. And God in his goodness seeks to rescue us. Jesus also rescues us from gender role confusion, which is revealed by the frequent misinterpretation and misapplication of Acts 18 regarding Priscilla. Priscilla was not a pastor. In fact, the text gives no indication that Aquila is a pastor. The fact that Priscilla's name is listed first ahead of her husband may be for a number of reasons, including the possibility that she was more eloquent, a better teacher, a better communicator, and more of an extrovert who did more of the talking in their relationship. That certainly stands to reason. Most of the couples I know, the woman does more of the talking than the man. Amen? Priscilla did not stand up in the synagogue and seek an opportunity to instruct everyone in the way of the Lord. She and her husband invite Apollos to their home to explain to Apollos things that they knew that he did not. There are all kinds of things women know that I do not. For that matter, there's lots of things that everybody knows that I don't. But especially there are women with knowledge and wisdom and insight that they have that I simply don't know. I love being in committee meetings where women will observe and explain things that I never considered. I love to read books by women who explain things that I never thought of, to sing hymns written by by women filled with insight that simply blows me away. I listen to talks by women who illuminate and explain things that give me far better understanding about a whole host of things. And none of that is done only by pastors or elders or deacons. And so it was a year ago at the General Assembly of the PCA that a study committee was formed on women serving in the ministry of the church. That committee was not seeking to change the historic teaching of the Bible, but rather to encourage a gracious and robust complementary practice that encouraged women to use their talents and spiritual gifts to the fullest possible ways. And it was one of the committee members, Mary Beth McGreevy, who was especially eloquent in presenting the study committee's findings to this year's General Assembly. She likened the issue to that of a speed limit. And if you have somebody driving in front of you who's going 40 miles an hour in a 65 mile an hour zone, that could be a bit annoying, right? We've all experienced that phenomenon. And so she likens it to say that she sticks her head out the window and yells to the guy, why are you going 40 miles an hour in a 65-mile-an-hour zone? Can you at least let me pass? And his response is, well, I'm afraid that if I let you pass, you're going to go too fast. And she says, but I love the speed limit. I love the good laws that are given to us that are safe and good and wise. Get out of my way so I can simply go the fully appointed speed limit. And to that, the assembly broke into spontaneous applause. 
kind of emotions you don't see from Presbyterians very often, in fact. Mary Mac- uh, Beth McGreevy is Priscilla. She's not seeking to usurp the authority of the law, the authority of the church, to go beyond what God has stated. She's not seeking to teach authoritatively as an ordained elder or pastor of the church. She's seeking a full opportunity to explain the way of God more adequately to Apollos. Now, obviously, there is no way to try and go through the fullness of this question in one sermon, especially because it's not really the point of the sermon. It's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that God desired for Apollos to understand the way of the Lord more adequately. And so God providentially put into place people and resources to accomplish this. In other words, God directed Apollos to Ephesus to meet Priscilla and Aquila. That's the point. And so from there, Apollos goes to Achaia, the capital city of Corinth. In fact, in the first letter of uh, Paul to the Corinthians, he affirms Apollos and Apollos' ministry in Corinth, while also rebuking the divisiveness of the Corinthians who say, I follow Apollos. And he says, you don't follow Apollos, you don't follow Paul, you don't follow Priscilla, we follow Jesus Christ. It's also believed by many, and with good reason, that Apollos is the author of the book of Hebrews. So again, going back to the fact that Priscilla's name is listed first before Aquila certainly gives Priscilla greater honor, similar to what we saw in Judges 4 that we read earlier in the service. And the honor that was given to Deborah and the honor given to Jael, Deborah did not seek to usurp Barak, but helped him to be successful, helped him to live out God's call on his life. Deborah and Jael were pretty awesome in fulfilling their roles as well. And so God calls men to be men and women to be women. God calls some men to be pastors and elders. God calls all of us through Jesus Christ to be awesome in whatever he has ordained for us to do. Our God-given roles are complementary to one another. I mentioned this uh, document before, but the Danvers Statement that was written by the Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Uh, was, they met in Danvers, Massachusetts, hence the name. It was written in December of 1987, and I commend it to you as an excellent one-page declaration of biblical truth on this topic. One of the concluding statements says, with half the world's population outside the reach of indigenous evangelism, with countless other lost people in those societies that have heard the gospel, with the stresses and miseries of sickness, malnutrition, homelessness, illiteracy, ignorance, aging, addiction, crime, incarceration, neuroses, and loneliness. No man or woman who feels a passion from God to make his grace known in word and deed need ever live without a fulfilling ministry for the glory of Christ and the good of this fallen world. You don't need to be a pastor to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if that one-page Danvers statement makes you want to read more on the topic, there is a concise, still short, 50 Crucial Questions book that was written by members of that Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And if you want to go even deeper than the 50 questions, you can go to the 500-page Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. And if you want to go deeper still, you can go to the 800-page Treatise of Evangelical Feminism and Biblical Truth. They've also written Biblical Foundations for Manhood and Womanhood, Pastoral Leadership for Manhood and Womanhood. In other words, there is lots of study and lots of writing that has been done on this topic because gender roles and gender confusion is nothing new. The disorder 
is a result of the fall. Restoration of order is through the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. So again, the point of the passage is that God desired Apollos to understand the way of the Lord more adequately. And so God providentially put into place the people and resources to accomplish this. We live in an unprecedented age, surrounded by people and resources that we might know the way of the Lord more adequately. And so by application to us through Christ, God desires for each of us to understand the way of the Lord more adequately so that we would be dynamite in the scriptures, always pursuing more understanding and more applying of God's word to our lives. And through Jesus Christ, we are called to be awesome in the roles he has ordained for each of us. So let's go and do this because the truth has set us free. Amen.